You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and my guest today is Carlos Garcia. Carlos was born in Cuba and came to the United States, where he studied anthropology and finance at Emory University. And after graduating, worked at the Royal Bank of Canada's investment banking division in New York City, where he worked on several big deals, including the $4.3 billion acquisition of Rackspace and a few other multi-hundred million dollar IPOs. Carlos was certainly on his way towards financial success, and for many people that would be suffice. But the reason why I had him on the podcast today is because he had the courage to admit that he wasn't truly inspired by that path and made a big pivot, left his work there and started his own business and uh, has created a very successful small business doing something that he loved. And I'm going to let him share that entire story with you because it really is the point of this call today. And and again, the reason why I wanted to have him on the podcast. So with that, let's dive into the call. Here I am with Carlos Garcia. All right. All right. I'm here with Carlos Garcia. Como estas, amigo? <laughs> Everything is well, my brother. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate oh, it. Dude, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on. It's uh, We met each other just recently at a a business marketing conference and got to know you a little bit. You were very kind to send some love to my daughter. That actually sounded a little weird now that I said that, but uh, <laughs> you purchased her, let's be very specific. You purchased her uh, online membership program for your younger right. sister, which was very cool. So thank yeah. you for that. Um, but I was very inspired to hear about your story and uh, what you've been doing with your career and some of the other cool stuff that you've been doing uh, lifestyle wise, I find that there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are, uh, you know, they want to know, how do I live my dream? How do I uh, pursue my passions in a way that affords me to live a, a lifestyle that I enjoy making and creating? And uh, your story inspired me in such a way. Do I still have you? Oh, you cut, you froze no, I appreciate up. that, brother. Um, cool. Well, so let's, uh, let's sort of dive in a little bit. First, for those that do not know you, um, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to now. We'll get into a little of the backstory from there. Sure, sure. So my name is Carlos Daniel Garcia. I was born in Cuba and raised in Miami. And uh, after that, just uh, I went to this like really small charter school in, in high school. And just the immigrant story, you know, just working hard in school, making sure that uh, that education was going to be the way out. And then went to study in Emory University. Then I didn't know if I was going to do, I didn't know what I want to do. I love anthropology. And I, then I Googled it and it was the top three lowest paying career. So I was like, hell no. <laughs> so I minored in anthropology and majored in finance. Uh, went to work in New York and in 2017, uh, so I, I worked in New York. I got an internship. Then, you know, I got the return offer in 2017, uh, quit. And then, you know, it was, it was a, just searching for, for my soul again. Yep. And uh, started to uh, try to start different ventures here and there. And until I found one that really aligned with, with uh, who I was and was making an impact. And, you know, from there, uh, I've just been growing this company now. It's a summary book company. And it's gotten me to where I am now. So, so for those that aren't familiar with what you mean by summary books, why don't you explain what that is? Yeah. So basically I publish summary books for professionals that don't have the time to read the full book in business and self-development. And how that came about was when I was working these long hours in finance, 80, 90 hours a week, I would always write down ideas of companies I could start in the future. And I would love to, I loved reading books, right? I just love, I've always loved reading books. I just never had the time. So when I, ordered summaries on Amazon, the summaries that would come in were terrible quality. The English and the grammar was like all over the place. And, you know, I later found out getting just diving a little bit deeper was that people are outsourcing the writers to Bangladesh, India, um, really good for virtual assistance in, in certain particular areas, but not so much for the English language. Mm-hmm. And the whole point there was to make summary books that are high quality for, um, you know, top producers and top achievers. 
Um, and so a couple of questions come to my mind. First and foremost, I'm assuming being in finance that you were doing fairly well financially. Is that something, you know, a lot of people get locked into a job because it pays well and it provides for them. What gave you, what was the catalyst for you to leave that and sort of strike out on your own? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, you know, the crazy thing is that, so I went to work for Royal Bank of Canada and specifically their communications media entertainment team. And in the internship, uh, you know, I, they, it was kind of like a light process. They, you know, they gave us pretty exciting work. It was, it was really cool. And in seeing this all my senior year, I was, um, I was basically set and my, my grades like kind of dipped a little bit, but I was basically set because that's it. You know, I got the return offer. And so during that whole year, I really was just, I was just living that high of just getting that return offer knowing that I was going to go work in, in New York. Then we had a month training in Toronto. And by the end of that month training, like it started getting real. I started sinking in that, okay, this is gonna, this is gonna be my life now. And at the end of, of that training, uh, I had this colleague that I, I knew, we weren't really close friends. I just knew him and we had like several close friends like that, that were friends with each other. And you know, it turned out that it, he passed away. A car ran over him. Mm. And it was crazy. Mm. Um, you know, it was the first time that someone that young that I knew, like I personally knew, just passed away. And that same day that, that my friend told me, uh, I was just, you know, I was, I was broken, man. I, I, I was just thinking, man, what if I die tomorrow? Would I, could, I ha could I say that I'm living the life that I, that I wanted? And, you know, the, the answer was no. And it was tough. You know, it was tough to to just come to that realization right away. Um, so I stayed up basically all night, locked myself in the room, like, all right, what's gonna be the plan for your life? And then basically I just wrote down and wrote down and wrote down, just got into that stream of consciousness, just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and just try to get everything out. And what kept on coming up was the ocean. For some reason or another, the ocean, the ocean, the ocean kept on coming up. Hmm. And my plan was just to quit, literally before I even started, and, you know, that, that was going to be forfeiting, uh, forfeiting like the, um, the, the bonus they gave in the sign in bonus is what they call. And, and just going about on my own. And uh, I want to mention that I also had a, a bit of student debt, right? And before I, before I took that decision, I talked to several friends and, you know, one of them that, that I really that I, that I'm really close with. He was just telling me that I was going to learn a lot of valuable skills, even though like it was going it, to, it's not the, the, the impact or the passion or, or the life I was going to learn a lot of valuable skills. So going into wall street, I already knew I had a time horizon and I said, you know what? It's true. I am going to make great connections. I am going to be able to pay down some of my student loans so that they're not, you know, asphyxiating me. And I will be able to, to learn some valuable skills some valuable skills, just learn the language. So yeah, man, it was, um, it was, it was tough. It was a tough year because at one hand I knew that I didn't want to be that. The other hand, and you were like, you know what? I need to learn these skills. I need to make some money. And you know, um, you know, that, for that year was, I would say that was like probably the toughest. That was definitely the, the toughest year of my life for sure. Mm. For sure. Yeah, I uh, had a similar moment when I, just after I graduated. And how old are you again? I'm 26. 26. So yeah. uh, a little bit younger than that. I was recently married and living in Boston at the time. And my then wife and I, I had good jobs. We were making decent money, you know, living in the city. Things were going well. And I was like, we got to move. And she's like, why? Like, this is, we have good jobs. We're getting good money. And I was like, that's exactly why. Because I know the longer we're here, the, the deeper the roots are going to get, the That's more it. tied to, you know, these jobs we're going to be like you invest in this. Is this really the That's direction that we want to go in? Exactly. And it's a hard thing to, to leave that. Where do you think that comes from in you to, to have sort of foreseen that? Was it, maybe it was the, the death of your friend to just kind of wake you up. Was there a, an entrepreneurial streak in you prior to that? Or where do you think that came from to make that pivot? Yeah. Honestly, I think it, it was just that ever since I, I was a kid, it was, I've always loved, 
doing things big and, 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 you know, being the own author of my life. Mm. And for the first time I felt that, you know, I wasn't really living that life that I wanted. It was for the the first time. And, and I think the catalyst was catalyst was definitely the death of that, that colleague of mine. Um, Mm. That, that just really put it black and white, like really put it, in the sense of like, you know, is your younger self, would your younger self be happy with, with who you are right now, with what you're doing right now? And, and that answering those questions were, was, was pretty, was pretty tough. So I knew, and, and, and that's, that's, that's funny. You bring that up about Boston, about, you know, that you were going to grow your roots. And it's like, is this really what we want? So a year into it, a year into wall street, uh, we had our intern class coming. Right. And man, the job got easier. The job got so much easier just delegating uh, most of my job to, to these interns. It was awesome. Uh, I was still working, you know, like a pretty good amount. So, so I felt better. And I, I, I was already starting to feel the shackles. Okay. I was already starting to feel the golden, golden handcuffs. That's it. Yeah. I was already starting to feel them. I'm like, wow, it's getting easier. But I knew from our moments in the past, right, well, that, that there was this rich color that I wasn't seeing. There was kind of this numbness, this, this, this gray that um, was now a little bit lighter. <laughs> it's a little bit, you know, uh, less shades of gray. I mean, yeah, a lighter gray, like we could say, but it wasn't really the full color of life. And, and you know, it was, it was funny. It was a, a Tony Robbins seminar in, in New Jersey that I attended that really just that, that, that was just that that just threw me over the fence like all right man your year's up you you're able to pay down some of your most of your student loans and you've gotten really you've made amazing friendships you've you've honed your skills you have the lingo now to talk and what else are you going to be here for this is not your passion this is not your life and that you know right after that that conference i just went straight up to my to my boss and i was like hey man we need to have a conversation i'm like i'm putting in my two weeks he's like oh dude and the craziest thing is just you know, when, when, when you just, he asked me, what do you, what do you have in mind now? Like, what are you going to do? And, uh, I was like, you know, I have an idea, but I really had an idea. Just, I felt like a prisoner, man. Okay. I felt like a prisoner. I just wanted to go and explore. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't know, but it's going to be something with the ocean. And he was like, you know, <laughs> this is like a wall street dude. Okay. This is a finance. Dude. He's like, you know, um, yeah, I, I've had, have, I've had ideas too like that before, you know, in high school, I really like pottery. I really like making things with my hands. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I never heard that from him, right? It's like the super, super, like, you know, cold guy about numbers and finance. And then like, yeah, I love making things with my hands. I love, I love pottery. Yeah. And it was like, this, there's some power to this, you know, just some power to just talking and, and just saying how you actually feel. Cause most of the time you can't, I couldn't say this for a whole year because then I knew they weren't going to pay me enough of my bonus. And then right. I wouldn't be able to pay my student loans. So you're just bottling and you're creating this image of like, I love finance. I love, but in the reality inside, you know, you're every time you put that image, you're just, I'm, I was just like lying to myself, lying to myself for a whole year, man. And, I, and that was an experience I'd, ne- I'd never, never experienced before. That's so wild that, um, you know, how many master potters and poets and artists and singers are lost to not just like Wall Street, but just corporate, you know, the corporate so golden true. handcuffs. That's it. Oh, man, like we need more art, especially in the Western world. We need more genuine art. I feel like anyway, it's like mm. our culture is so it just seems so shallow. Um, and And real art to me is something that comes from the soul. And uh, that's fascinating that he was <laughs> he, that, that <laughs> hidden Potter inside of him. Um, what was it like just real quick, like sort of living the wall street life? Was it high pressure? Was it what it seems like on, in the movies? I mean, my father did a similar thing and, and he has yeah. some stories, but is that more or less what it was for you? I mean, there, there were some times that, that we got to, you know, sometimes we got to go out with some clients and that was fun. Right. Um, I won't, I won't divulge too much in the details, but you know, I, I, I always knew that that had that time horizon. So any free time that I had, I would, I would just go back and, and honestly just read books or explore the city a little bit. Yeah. Uh, 
the, the, the life is enticing, man, especially in New York. I mean, Manhattan, I have a special love for Manhattan because, you know, any time that you got out of the office, it was the 1 a.m., 2 a.m., there, there was this jazz club called Smalls Jazz Club. You can just go to that jazz club no matter what time. It was always open. You have these world-class musicians just just going out on their instrument. It was awesome. And I just had, you know, a, a Cuba Libre to remind me of my times in Miami, a little rum and coke. And no matter what time, no matter what day, uh, there's always something to do in the city. And... And yeah, man, I mean, Manhattan, Manhattan is just, it's is in another level. And I think yeah. that's why people stay. I think that's why I, there, there's a big alert to Manhattan. Yeah, there's nothing else like it. No other city is like, no. and, and yeah, you could go out at three, four, five in the morning and you would think it's, you know, mid-afternoon with all the activity. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, you, you growing up. So remind me, you said you were born in Cuba, right? Yeah, I was born in Cuba and emigrated over when I was seven years old. Okay, and how did you immigrate again? You just uh, tell me the story of that, if you would. Yeah, so basically, at first, we went to we left Venezuela when I was about one and a half, and oh, well, I'm sorry, you were living in Venezuela or Cuba? Yeah, yeah. So I, I was born in Cuba, and we had this old this relative that left in the the moment that of the revolution in 1959, and he just started climbing in Pepsi Cola in Venezuela, and then he became like a a senior VP. And he literally paid for the whole family, literally the whole family, to fly from Cuba to Venezuela. Mm. Our whole family came over and, you know, we share him anytime they, well, we have a family party. You know, we always sing him a song. There's a, there's a specific song for him because he was the one that really opened our eyes. And so we lived in Venezuela for, for about four or five years and until Chavez came in 1998 to power. And he was just speaking the same things that, you know, socialists, the communists were speaking in Cuba for, for, for a much, much longer time. And my parents already knew how that story was going to play out. Mm -hmm. So literally in 99, my parents said, you know what, we got to go back and we got to find a way to, to get to the United States. And that, that's what we did. Uh, we, we were able to find a way to, to the United States, Miami. I'm sorry. So, so did you say that you went back to Cuba then for yeah. a little bit? Yeah. Gotcha. What was, do they, do they have stories of what it was like for them growing up and during the sort of the regime change? In Cuba? Yeah. When, Castro came in yeah so I'll tell you I'll, I'll tell you just so you have an idea of how how the system was just not incentivizing any let's call it just self-development or <laughs> yeah anything of that sort basically my grandpa was a was a professor in the Polytechnic Institute in Havana he used to teach thermodynamics and he would make more as a taxi driver than as a full-time professor wow yeah. And, you know, when I was, when I was born, it, the Soviet Union collapsed in, in, in 91. So in 93, um, it was, it was called that whole 90s period was called the special period period especial in Cuba. And there was not much food, man. Like there's, it was getting real bad. And my mom wrote letters to a bunch of different companies all throughout the world, just so, you know, they could give her some food or, and wow. you know um just that level of desperation and you know we we my mom was able you know she was very very convincing letters and she was able to get pampers for me she was able to get uh she was able to get um uh what do you call that milk and in, in milk uh powdered milk mm. and shipments of them and then my uncles would ask, would ask her to write to heineken to see if uh, if heineken can <laughs> can send them bottles too. Uh, so Did yeah, that man, it was, out? no, that never worked. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. And what's, yeah, what's man, it was, it was tough. Down there? What's that? What's the Cuban beer? The Cuban beer, uh, La Tue. It's called what's La Tue. La Tue. What does that mean? I have no clue. Maybe like some, some indigenous tribe. Is it like a, is it a monopoly? I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 Everything, everything is nationalized. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sorry. So I interrupted. So she was writing compelling letters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, uh, I mean, she told me, and, and she told me that people were, were generally very, very hungry and she didn't want to raise her, her, her children in, in Cuba. And, and we had this letter from, from that relative and we were able to, to capitalize on that. My family was able to capitalize on, on that and, and, and head out. How did you fly out though? I mean, wasn't there, 
restrictions against that? Well, because I, I don't know the specifics about uh, how later we went from Cuba to, to the United States, but on Venezuela, uh, there was like, there was because of, I don't know what there was, but there was like a mutual, uh, the, the governments were, were on friendly terms and they were able to, you, my whole family was able to get visas. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so you came over when you're about seven years old. Um, have you been back to Cuba since then? Yeah, I went last time I went was in 2016. So about four years ago. Okay. Has much changed? Was it more or less what you remembered it or? Yeah. I mean, so I had, I had gone a couple times, 2012, 2014, 2016. Uh, I mean, much is the same, man, honestly. Yeah. It seems, it seems like I've never been down there yet, but it's just always been alluring to me. Uh, I, it's fascinating that it's sort of frozen in time just because of the, the embargo and everything, but the people, the culture, the fact that it's an Island, you have that Caribbean feel to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like it's an amazing place, but I also know that obviously there's, you know, political complexities, et cetera. But um, are the, what's, what are the people like down there right now? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, a big part of me is still, you know, at first I'm, I feel American than anything else, but that, that part of me that's amiable, that's, that's friendly, that's, you know, that's a good host. And that part, I contributed all to Cuba, I you know, it. it, yeah, man. It's just, uh, the people there are so friendly. Uh, they're so warm. They, they love to celebrate, to <laughs> celebrate, yeah. you know, in, in the worst of times, no matter, you know, no matter what's going on, they still find a way to celebrate. And that's something that, uh, you know, but celebrating in a, in a, in a genuine way where, where you feel good. Uh, that's, that's something that, that I, I continue doing, you know, with the family, just celebrating. Uh, even when times are bad, you said, like, could, is there a time in your life where you were that applied? Yeah. So, so, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really know that times are bad. You're just, you're just seeing things around. Right. And so I, when we first got to the United States, we were a little bit spread out. We were staying some, some parts of the family were staying in a friend's house. And, and, you know, my, my uncle who was a Naval engineer was now just washing dishes. Um, My, my grandpa was being a was a substitute teacher in in like the pretty bad parts and in high, in, in like high schools. And um, during that whole time, we still, I never felt that things were bad. I guess that's the, that's the best way to, of putting it. I never felt things were bad because we still found every, every other weekend or every weekend to celebrate together and just play the guitar and to sing. And, and those are the times that I remember and not, not, the, not the actual struggles because my family just did well to, to not really showcase that. Yeah. I love that. I, it's something that I've always revered about the Latin culture. I, one of the things that I think about in terms of anthropology, if you will, that sure. um, the, you know, the world has these different cultures. There's d- different influences, different ways of looking at things. You have some cultures that are very um, analytical and engineer-like, like Germans. And then you have other cultures that are very um, uh, more spiritual and other cultures. But the Latin culture is family and parties, man. Like, I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been down to Guatemala so many times. Uh, it's where my ex is from. And uh, just like watching the Super Bowl this, the other day with J Lo and and Shakira, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, but yeah. it's crazy how so many people have a response to that. Where having been a part of the Latin culture, like my me and also my kids, you know, we saw the the halftime show and it was like, all right, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a little in your face, but at the same time, <laughs> it's just pura vida, you know. It's just there's so much life and love that that comes yeah. out of the Latin. You mean it's kind of the heartbeat of the world. Like you guys are the rhythm, the music, like that's it. That's hundred percent. That's hundred percent. My, my grandpa told me the other day, he was like, he was trying to count all the different genres, all the musical genres that came out of Cuba specifically. And when we were Googling it, it it took us about an hour to compile everything. And there was literally about 55 different musical genres that came out of Cuba alone. Wow. It was insane, man. And then, so when you, and when you hear, when you hear back, uh, um, you know, Louis Armstrong, you know, there was so much of these influences that is going on in the background that we have no clue about either. Huh? Yeah. That's yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. 
You know, I, I have a friend who's Swedish and I was just driving around in St. Louis with him the other day. And, you know, he's like, uh, Nordstrom's, you know, that's a Swedish name, right? And I was like, no, I didn't know that. Uh, there's a famous, there's a famous road here called Lindbergh Avenue, which is, or Lindbergh, Lindbergh Boulevard, which is named after Charles Lindbergh, which, uh, he was the first to fly over the Atlantic ocean in, uh, in the spirit of St. Louis. I think I'm getting that right. Uh, anyway, but he was, uh, had Swedish background and he just started pointing out all these different Swedish influences. And now to talk to you and hear like, oh, there's all these Cuban influences. It's kind of cool to see. I mean, to me as an American, like I feel proud about just the conglomeration of all these cool different cultures and perspectives. That's a beautiful thing. That's yeah, a beautiful man. thing you just said, brother. It is yeah. a beautiful thing. I, I love it. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about your your switch from Wall Street to your passion and how you got into um, creating these summary books. Like what are some of the, as a voracious reader, first and yeah. foremost, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the most influential books that you've read? Oh man. Yeah. So I would say the first one, Principles by Ray Dalio. If you're growing a business or you're an executive and you really want to uh, take your team, your organization to the next level, Principles is it just breaks it down. It really just, there's, it, it's a very direct, it's a very direct book in the sense that the whole premise of the book is anytime we make a decision, we make our decision based off principles that we have. So Ray Dalio, what he did was he, he, he had this tome. It's about 550 pages, something like that. And he breaks down principles in life and principles in work. And all his principles and how they, how he sees the world. And the first one, the most important one is to embrace reality and deal with it. That's principle number one, to embrace reality and deal with it. And from there you can make your own principles about life. So I basically just through this one book was able to get the knowledge of 68 years worth of principles from this, from this one man that is a self-made billionaire, right? He, he grew, well, his net worth is about 20 billion, but he grew uh, the largest uh, hedge fund in history to $160 billion in, in assets under management. And in, he did it with this framework of principles. So for me, growing my, starting my first company, that was just, I mean, that's gold. That's literally gold. So how I did, would say, if, yeah. Yeah. How did you apply that in, in growing your business? So, so the first one is, is so that first one I told you about, um, embrace reality and deal with it. Um, basically there's, there's a lot of things just going on. There's a, a bunch of things going on and I, and, and there's two things that are stopping me that, that stop anyone is basically I, you don't want to feel wrong, right? Your, your, your ego yeah. and uh, your blind spots. So you're so focused, you're so honed in. Right. And, when you just say, okay, okay, I need to let go of these, of, of these mechanisms that my brain is just, you know, um, hardwired for and just embrace that this is not working right now. And it's 100% my fault because it's my business. So yeah. just having that accountability and ownership with just, you know, there are, there are principles. You're just, you're just not applying them. Right. It was just a complete paradigm shift for, mm. for just owning my results basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. Um, it seems like a lot of times people uh, don't, you know, they're not, um, they don't take radical ownership of their experience and uh, they're either living in the future or living in the past in some way. And right. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so did you, when you started, and reading, I, I, and I can tell you, I can tell you another one that, that really, yeah. um, that, that really propelled it forward is, um, so, so that one was in his life principles and his, in his work principles was manage as if you're operating a machine. I think that was like principle number 10. And it really just let me think of the business, not as a, not as this, um, you know, uh, concept or abstraction, but it really just helped me see it as components that all interwork together and produce results. So I have, you know, a team of writers, editors, graphic designers, and they all have their own biases and their own ideas. And I have this one vision of how, how a summary could uh, best serve professionals. 
So how do I have everyone working together for that one specific output of the per of like the best quality product, right? And, and having that, that perspective of seeing, okay, well, the writer needs to have this, this piece so he can understand, he or she can understand the North star. So, you know, I really broke it down to each, to each person, to each uh, individual uh, cog is, is what uh, Ray Dalio would, would call it, each individual component. And then have them relate with each other and see how, how they transferred, you know, one part of the product to the next. So you start out with a manuscript and then you bring it out to the editor. And at the end of the day, the, the, at first there was, I, I wasn't seeing, I, again, I wasn't embracing reality. So there was a lot of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between the writer and the editor. And the whole point, I, I thought that I had just hired incorrectly when the whole point was that I wasn't giving them a clear direction. Mm. Right. Mm. And, and so then I was like, okay, well, there's, there's something going on here. Uh, this is a machine and it has to flow perfectly from one place to another. So what's, what's really going on? And I brought, to, brought a writer and an editor and we just sat down. And then from there, like after we solved that one problem from there, it's just been streamlined. We can just, we can create summaries on two in, in about a week to two weeks now. That's awesome. I can see how um, not embracing reality. I, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs, quote unquote, not embrace reality. And yep. as a result, it's the team's fault. It's they don't get right. it. It's, you know, um, they right. don't work hard enough, etc. And taking extreme ownership, I would imagine, uh, allows you to stay empowered to say, no, 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 this is just a reflection of maybe my uh, vagueness or uh, I'm not clear enough. The vision's right. not clear enough. Exactly. Okay. Very cool. That makes sense. Um, so how do you find writers and editors to, to write and edit to the quality that you're looking to make for a high level executive? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, so, to give a little bit more back, a little bit of backstory, I was looking for books that were very, that were popular first. I had a little bit of amount of capital to start this company. So I was looking for books that were, that were hefty and popular because people look at a 500 page book and they're like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to read that, that whole thing. So I was looking for those two criteria. And so the books that, that came to mind was Sapiens. Um, that came to mind that I researched Sapiens, 12 rules for life and principles by Ray Dalio. After I read them and I, I saw that there was some, some applicability for self-development and for, for business, that was the genres that, that we wanted to focus on. Uh, I made sure I really understood those two, those, those, those three books. When I went ahead and wanted to hire, I went to these different um, sites. I can tell you the, I can tell you the, the different sites. It was freelancer, guru.com, uh, um, uh, Upwork, a bunch of different sites. And what I did was I made specifically, uh, I made the writers do a, a, an assessment. So most people would just take people's words that they're good and their skill set and their resume. Um, I basically gave a randomized number to a bunch of writers from all these different sites. And I asked them to do exactly what I want to, to summarize the books that, uh, that like portions of the book. And then without seeing their names or anything, I would just see who had, and then I made like, I, I weighed my decisions on different factors, how clear they, how clear and concise the language was, the grammar, I, and, and basically it was just on Excel, like this, I, I just made the score from one to five for the different categories. And I just go blindly, like, a, like, a, as if I was a machine, just seeing, just reading them like, okay, that, that was good. That was good. That was not so good. And it gave me a weighted score at the end. And then the people, the top 10, I would reach, reach back. And then I would see if there was a cultural fit. So at first I made sure I filtered for skill set. at first, making sure not just vague skill set, specifically what they were going to be doing for the company. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I, I filtered for cultural fit. And what was the cultural fit you were looking for? People that, that had this, this zest of life, you know, that I can talk to them and, and, and we can talk like, like we're talking right now that really want people to do better. You know, that, 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 pe that people, uh, there's just too much things going on and there's a lot, a lot of good books out there that could help people. And I want them to feel like the missionary, the missionaries behind these books. Because at the end of the day, I want people to read the full book. At the end of the day, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's, a, you know, that's one of our, our primary objectives. I want people to read the full book. And I want them just to wet their toes with the, with the summary 
get a good grasp, see if they, if they, um, if they feel good with the, with basically the frameworks and the principles that, that the book is, um, is, is saying and go ahead and read the full book. Uh, that's very cool. Um, what are some of the top titles that you've produced? So principles, sapiens, 12 rules for life, seven habits of highly effective people, uh, educated that one. So that was a memoir. And what we did was we took the seven principles of Tara Westover's uh, life and, and we put it in, into the different, into like nine different chapters. Um, the subtle art of not giving a fuck and thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman. Hmm. So yeah. are you, are are your writers just creating a summary or is there also, uh, you know, like some of your input or like your personal analysis or, or your writer's personalysis in there too? Right. Right. So yeah, what we do is, is what I call as a conclusion driven summary so we, we think about what's the punchline for every chapter and what's the punchline for the whole book. Mm-hmm. And we reorganize all the criteria. Um, and we reorganize the whole book and we create a book structure that first starts out, okay, this is the punchline for the whole book. And then we give the subsequent punchlines in our own organization. And then what we do is all the anecdotes and examples, we, we make them modern for like the modern day executive and the modern day professional. Mm. And so if you, if you read um, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, you, you would see uh, that basically the example, we, we, we try to carry out a story, like a character throughout the whole book that the principles that the original author is saying is applied to this character. So we're giving, we're giving it our, our own, our own, um, our own taste to it as well. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. What, what, um, what kind of feedback are you getting from your customers? Like, do you have before so, and after type? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, if, if they bought the summary thinking it was a summary, then it's phenomenal feedback. Um, the, the, the feedback has been really good. I mean, um, most people have been saying that, that they buy the book afterwards. So a lot, a lot of people, and we're tracking it too. Um, the, the before and after I haven't followed up specifically with like a lot of individual customers. Uh, this is all through, all through Amazon. But what, what the reviews we are getting on Amazon is, you know, we have finished the book and we a full book now. Um, you know, I had no, I had no idea that, that, uh, that this worked this way or, or, or whatever. Um, thanks for the summary. Uh, looking forward to more summaries. So a lot of people are, are really enjoying the summaries. Are, are they, did you say that I understand you correctly when you said that they buy it sometimes after they read the full book too? As a reference. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if people will read the full book and then read the summary and have you point out some insights or, you know, analysis that they hadn't seen, right. which could deepen their understanding of the book itself. That's right. That's right. And what we also do is at the end of the book, we provide an actionable, like a um, 21 day or 14 day challenge where you can apply and try to institutionalize these ideas into your life. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, and that we, we try to just take that next step because like 12 rules for life, a phenomenal book. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've read it by Jordan B. Peterson. I haven't read the book itself, but I've heard a lot of, his summaries on YouTube and whatnot. Okay. Talking so about different principles. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that book, uh, you know, when it comes down to it is about relationships, you know, it's a relationship with yourself and a relationship with others. And, and, and the, the, basically the rules of these relationships that are going to, are going to make you prosper as much as possible. Right. And, and, uh, so what we do is then we take that information and it's like, okay, great. Now, how can you actually apply it? to your life. So for the first rule, stand up straight with your shoulders back. That rule like really helped me in the lows of trying to start a business, right? Because it was months that I was just pouring money and time and I wasn't seeing any results whatsoever. And with Amazon publishing, you know, if you do direct on direct publishing, you have to wait two months to get paid basically. So what if I, whatever I make in January, I won't see, I won't see that till the end of March. Hmm. So there's a, so, so it was just like a gamble I was taking, but I believed in the vision 
And because I had I had to, you know, I, I had to make sure that the books fit our genre. I read these books and that rule specifically, send up straight with your shoulders back. He, I mean, it, it was, it was, it's a great rule because it talks about the, the biology of posture mm-hmm. and how no matter how you're feeling, if you just stand up straight with your shoulders back, it creates um, a whole cascade of um, just neurobiology that, you know, there's serotonin levels that you feel better and therefore you do better. You know, you're modeling success. I mean, he talks about lobsters and, and whatnot. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an awesome book. And I forgot where I was going with this. But uh, <laughs> uh, I was I was just asking you um, your books and and how people have received them and how it's helped them. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So then we take this rule, and I remember now. Uh, yeah. So we take this rule, and we say, okay, but how do you actually follow that? So then we say, okay, anytime you walk through a door frame, and you see a door frame. Well, remember rule number one: put your shoulders back. Right, just setting different triggers throughout the day. We try to make that next connection of okay, now you have this knowledge. Great, we want to set the next the next step on how to actually apply this knowledge. Uh, so, if I understand correctly, he was saying every time you walk through a door frame, you're no. He didn't say that. He said when you're when you're going about your day, you should stand up straight with your shoulders back. Right, because people will um, perceive you differently. People will perceive you as successful. And they will relate to you as you're successful. As people relate to you as you're successful, you are also um, basically um, saying to yourself, right? You're 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 reinforcing. You're reinforcing that you're successful, and therefore you have greater possibilities of being successful. What was the doorframe thing, though? And then, so the next the next step, so like, great, you have this knowledge, right? That's what Peterson is saying. Right now, the next step is how do I actually apply this to my life? It's great to have that knowledge, but now how do I execute on that knowledge? And does Peter, was Peterson saying uh, the door frame? No, no, that's that's a little that's a little thing that we that we came up with. Ah, see, that's that's hugely valuable. Like now, like literally, as you were saying that, I was thinking, man, now every time I walk through a door frame, that's going to start to trigger a thought, <laughs> yeah. and up shoulders back, and yeah, how how much that's going to reinforce my own, you know, yeah, that's fascinating, that's actually. That's it. Yeah, 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 man. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you, you, so now you've been in business for how long? So now it's going to, it's about to be, it's a year and a year and a half. And you've, it's it, like taken off pretty well. Has it not? Yeah, it took off. It took off about a year ago. So this time about a year ago, it started taking off. Do you have a, can you give people a ballpark idea as to how well it's doing? Sure. So um, just in, in awards, we have four bestsellers. In, in summaries, book notes, literary criticism, we were able to get four bestsellers of the four. So we have 14 books published so far. Uh, and right now we're doing about 17K in sales. Per month? Per month, yeah. So for 26 years old, that's not bad money. For most people, that's you know very good money uh, at any age. And uh, so one of the things I wanted to ask you too is just from a lifestyle standpoint and an yeah. impact standpoint, what does that afford you to do? You were telling me a little bit about spearfishing or yeah. running off to Europe and, and <laughs> following Hemingway's footsteps for a little bit. And, I mean, that, I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, brother. I mean, so to, to, give more, to give a little bit of background, um, at the end, so, so there's always been a book that, that just, you know, just clicked for me. And the book, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've heard of it, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Sure. Yeah. So that was talking about, uh, there's this like whole acronym called DEAL, Definition, Elimination, uh, Automation, and Liberation. And the definition, the, definition, the definition part was to really define what kind of life you wanted. And out of, out, after like, you know, working in Wall Street and then and there's a little part there that, that I didn't mention yet that I try to become a spearfishing influencer. I, I can talk about it later. Um, Wait, did I, you say a spearfishing influencer? Yeah, spearfishing influencer. I'm, I'm definitely footnoting that. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted uh, to start a business that gave me freedom to, to go and live this adventurous lifestyle that, that I wanted, but at the same time that I felt had impact on people's lives. 
So I needed to have those two. Those were the two criteria. And honest, so that was at the beginning of 2018. And now at the beginning of 2020, finally, I was able to like, you know, full circle that vision. Uh, starting the year going two weeks, I, I, I had a, I have a sailboat and I just sailed to this island about 15 miles away from Miami. It's called Boca Cheetah. And uh, I just, I was just there for two weeks and just woke up every single day, meditated and journaled worked out and just wrote and and i and that was the hemingway part i was like all right i'm reading i was reading a lot of hemingway so i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna grow a mustache to, <laughs> to pay homage Those to are hemingway. All listening and not watching they, they don't know like the level of the epic level of mustache uh <laughs> expression that you have it's, it's good man i i can see the you gotta get the handlebars and you have a great yeah, handlebar yeah. mustache <laughs> All right. Sorry. You're following Hemingway. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing, I was was just taking those two weeks as, as just, um, just to reset goals and intentions and, and just take it as a vacation. Right. But what ended up, when that ended up happening, it was, I I started just doing work and it was because I'm just loving what I'm doing now. And I just started writing, um, my own, my own takes on summaries and writing, uh, this, this next product that we're going to launch together um with with my with my um with my content team and i did in those two weeks more work than i that i could do in about two months because that was just it was just my place of 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 freedom of complete escape no distractions whatsoever you know it was kind of crazy like i couldn't get any signal so you know there was no digital distractions and i felt alive I felt, I felt completely, and that's, I, I think that's one of the reasons why when, when I went to the conference, I was able to, to connect with so many interesting and, 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 you know, amiable and, and, and beautiful souls, man, because I was just open to that. And, and I had just, you know, touched, um, it's basically that, um, that, that, that driver's seat, you know, when yeah. you, when you, when you sit down and you're at a, at a place, you're like, wow, this is, this is my environment, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I would go spear fishing. I would, so I would, I would, I would meditate, journal, and just write, do work. And then, uh, you know, in the afternoon, it was too hot. I was like, you know, what? I'm gonna go spear fishing. I would just go spear fishing, and make myself a really nice fresh fish for lunch. Um, met a bunch of other people that, you know, I met these, these this couple in a catamaran that they lived six months in Austin and six months they were RVing around. They sold their RV and got a catamaran. So now, and they're homeschooling their kids. And I was just seeing now, like, it was just confirmation that I can live this unorthodox, nonconformist life and, you know, have more impact because of it too. Love that, dude. We start, I think we started talking about the vagabond, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. That, so that, that, that YouTube channel was the one that convinced that couple specifically. Is that right? Okay. So yeah. don't know, tell people what that channel is because it's, it'll take you to another place just watching it. Yeah, man. So Le Vagabond um, is about this, this, this Australian, I used to work in, in, I believe it was in the, in oil fields and he raised up enough money. He bought himself, um, I forgot what was the, the name of the, of the first boat, but he basically bought himself a monohull sailboat. Um, and he was sailing in Greece and in Greece he meets this, this beautiful woman that's also has an adventure spirit and she decides to, you know what, screw it. I'm also going to get on this, on the sailboat with, with this guy and, and we're going to, we're going to tour around. And then she starts making these little funny, quirky, uh, YouTube videos about what it's like to, to live in the open seas and, and sail. And they got, it started getting traction and they blew up. So, so then after, after they blew up, I mean, a, a couple of years after they've been just documenting and documenting their life, just you're having this complete freedom to sail anywhere in the world. And, and it's really inspired a couple of people to take on that, that lifestyle. And, and in particular, this, this, this couple that, that I met, shout out to the Dewey family uh, from Austin. And so they had their RV and they saw this YouTube channel and they were like, you know what, screw it. We're going to, we're going to sell RV. We're going to, we're going to buy this catamaran and we're going to do the same thing. And now, and they homeschool their kids and their, their kids like, that Kai and Paige, they, they just love learning, which is another, another crazy thing that I had no idea about this homeschooling. Uh, and yeah, man, I mean, it, it just gave me so much confirmation. So from, from this one YouTube, from this one YouTube channel of people just living their life and just 
just, um, you know, being nonconformist, just really defining what it is that they wanted and, and just going, going with the flow of what they wanted. They, they're inspiring and, and they're selling off so many different ripple effects. And then those ripple effects are having other ripple effects. I, the first ripple effect, the Dewey family, the second ripple effect, I me. Yeah, dude, it's crazy how much, uh, impact that, that makes. I mean, and again, the, the, the YouTube channel is called the vagabond and just watching it, the energy of those two, I mean, they're, they're not yeah. horrible to look at. They're beautiful people. Yeah, they're beautiful. They just had a baby <laughs> watching them, you know, raise this child on this catamaran while they travel the world. Literally you'll start watching it. At least I do. And even though I'm in, you know, cold, dreary, cloudy, rainy Missouri right now, like it right. just mentally just kind of takes you away. And, <laughs> um, it's so inspiring, man. And I love the idea of kids loving learning, like with the Dewey family, I, I, our society seems so locked in this educational um, box Mm. that just forces these kids down this certain predictable path of education. And there's so many kids that don't, it's like the, it's like the Potter guy at the in Wall Street, you know, like he should be a freaking Potter. Why do we, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I get a little, I get passionate about this because I went through school with that same level of like, why am I learning this stuff? Like, why am I learning calculus too? And obviously there's a path in life where that becomes applicable, but it hasn't met right. my path. <laughs> How many hours did I slave away at that? That just literally has no value in my life. It just seems so pointless. A hundred percent, a hundred percent brother. And, and, and the crazy thing is that um, we're also very, uh, it's, we're overemphasized in using our brain and not at all. And using our heart, you yes. know, like really knowing, um, really knowing yourself and we're rewarded on, on, on exams, but we're not rewarded on, in our own internal process. Mm. You know, we're not mm. rewarded in that. Okay. Are you aligned with what you want? Mm-hmm. And, and that creates a lot. I mean, and, the way the system's designed is just, it creates a lot of um a lot of unhappy people and they don't even know how to get out of it sometimes yeah it really does oh. i've met, i've mentioned this before but i had a friend recently that came back from italy and i was like what was it like man he's part italian and he'd never been over there how he had not been over there i have wow. no idea cuz he's done very well for himself and he loves food and he loves the culture and wine and all that and but anyway so he came back and he's like it's amazing because we're so driven here. It's go, 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 go. The economy's doing crazy good, but most people are just not that happy. He's like over there, you know, the economy's struggling, this, that, or whatever, but people are just happy. They take time. They enjoy their food. They enjoy their wine. They enjoy relationships and connecting and celebration. Like you said, like there's something there that I think is missing from the average uh, American's life right now that we kind of need to reconnect to that sitting alone, disconnected on an Island in the Caribbean, gives you you know right. i applaud that that's so right. much man. <laughs> so much. that's right brother. that's right um i had uh earmarked spear fishing was there another story along that for, for you to become this, this spear fish <laughs> influencer so yeah i mean uh like i said i didn't have a really clear idea when i want to do it after wall street um i paid down a little bit of student student loans and i was like you know what i, I was sitting on a little bit of cash and uh, it was always a uh, kind of like a dream to 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 just learn how to spearfish and, and do it well and try to do it professionally. So uh, I bought a thirteen and a half foot inflatable boat with its own little engine, and I just started going three to four times a week and just documenting and just going and spearfishing and spearfishing, and I would get barracuda and snapper. I even called, I even looked up like the national spearfishing team and, and I, I found them on Facebook and I, I stalked them, I called them and um, they gave me like tips on how to hold my breath longer. I was able to hold my breath to like four minutes. Whoa. And yeah, yeah, no, it was cool, man. And yeah, man. And, and you know, it was like a completely different shift, right? From being 90, 80, 90 hours a week in a desk to just going out and holding your breath out alone at sea, just spearfishing. It was a completely different completely different vibe. And I did that for about three months nonstop. And I think it was just like a purge. I was just purging all my passion. Like, wow, like I get to be free. And I had a beard like this big. And um, at the end of those three months, I loved spearfishing, but I was just like, 
all right, dude, is this really what you're going to do for the rest of your life? Just, <laughs> just, just be a fish. <laughs> and felt amazing bringing a fish back and eating it and having that primal connection, right? And like yeah. sharing the fish that you got with your family. Yeah. And, but then after that, I was just like, all right, man, like this is, this is really cool. You're the man and all. Yeah. But what, what else are you just going to spearfish and fish for the rest of you? are going to be that, that crazy spearfishing <laughs> guy with a beard. <laughs> yes. You know, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> nothing wrong with that <laughs> there is nothing wrong with it man and and um and so i was just i was just missing that that impact part of it you know yeah. i knew the, the 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 lesson from there was like i knew i wanted to have an adventurous free life uh but i also wanted to have a life that had some kind of impact on others and yeah. i found i found with summary books that that was just the perfect the perfect uh intersection dude it's ideal i love this is why i wanted you on the podcast because you're doing what you love to do. That, that little piece of how do I also make impact is so um, that, that, that tiny little tweak makes a monumental difference from somebody that just is living their passion, which is about themselves. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I've known you know, many people, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners have been to you know, the beach and you see the, the you know, surfer dude, that, that's all he does, you know, just surfs, right? Does whatever he can to kind of make it by, but yeah. he just loves surfing so much or the, or the you know, whatever, right? So, but it's the, it's the transformation from just look, living your passion because people are always saying like, what is your passion? Like do, do what you love mm. versus turning it into purpose. How do you turn your passion into something that actually serves and gives a greater value and good to the world in such a way that you can actually make money from it. Like you've dialed in for you, the perfect purpose that allows you to still grow and learn and do all the stuff you were doing before read. And like, to me, that's part of what I get fired up with this podcast is like, yeah. I can't believe that I'm doing this and people are enjoying it. It's like, I love doing this. I love talking to people, learning new things, getting inspired. Um, so taking what you, what you're passionate about, turning it into a purpose and then turning it into a business to me is like the, the trifecta of, of living a perfect life. It's awesome, man. Yeah. hundred percent. And, 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 uh, and props to you, brother, that, that you're, that you get to live your life as well with purpose and, and have this podcast that, that reaches, you know, that reaches people and it really, it really touches them and, and gets, and gets to get the stories and you're, you're, you're very good at this, man. I like. I don't know if the the listeners here saw. I started. I started a little bit nervous in the beginning, and and you just tease it out, and you're you're trying to find the gems. And I, you know, I appreciate you having me on um, and sharing these gems with people that can that that that, this, that they can and it can help. Dude, thank you. I appreciate that. It's you know, it started with the Simon Sinek thing, and uh, you know, I saw his video way back when of the Golden Circle. We talked about that a little bit, I think. Yeah. Uh, and and when he, he sort of. I can't remember if it's in that Ted talk video or not, but he, at one point he said that my purpose or, or I'm inspired to find uh, what is it? I'm inspired to find what inspires others, that kind of thing. I, you know, my purpose is to help other people find their purpose. And so, that, that, that um, at the time when I watched that video, I think it was in my early thirties, it was like, I was so focused on finding quote unquote my purpose and or my passion. And it never occurred to me that there's a thing where your purpose could be to help other people find their purpose, mm -hmm. you know? And, and that to me is really sort of the heart of this podcast is I, I love bringing people on like yourself who are inspired and living their inspired life. And, and then having that rub off on us, like you said, the, the ripple effect, yeah. you know, compounding. Yeah, yeah. And um, so anyway, I appreciate you giving me that feedback. That means a lot to me, man. Um, <laughs> Well, first of all, when am I coming down to go spearfishing? Because that's going to happen. Come on, whatever, brother. Whatever. <laughs> I got the contacts. I got, I got the boats. I got the spearfishing. Uh, fantastic. Um, real quick, lionfish. Crazy yes. problem right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, they're, they're really tasty. That's a good, that's, that's a positive. That's but a they're positive. nasty, right? But they, they're, they're just taking over. Yeah. They're, they are native to you. Uh, the South Pacific and Indonesia, and there's just an invasive species. There's nothing that really eats them except uh, like sea turtles. So uh, they're they're basically just taking over a bunch of different niches, and there's they don't have any natural predators. Yeah, it's a crazy story. I used to live down in South Florida. I used to live in Jupiter, and 
this only happened like what a decade ago or whatever, where somebody released some lionfish, their, their pet lionfish. And for those that don't know, the lionfish are the ones with those, like, I don't know, those long, like they're not yeah. tentacles or whatever, but they have like these, uh, sort of looks like a lion's man, I guess. Um, and somebody released them into the wild and in the ocean. And now it's a huge ecological yeah. problem because like, yeah. they're just devouring everything and there is no natural predators. So if you're in the Florida area and you get into spearfishing, go freaking take out a few lionfish because they're, they're devastating. And uh, the best way to do it is with a pull spear or the, with, a tri, uh, with a tri-pronged uh, pull spear. Yeah. So then, uh, you know, with a, with a spear gun, it's, it's, a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more risky because it can slide through and it can, and it can puncture you and they're a little bit venomous. A little bit, you'll get a, a hand the size of a mitt if it, if a lot it punches of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, it won't kill you. It, it will just like it'll make it'll make it'll hurt a lot, a lot. And uh, but I, I, Wait, I so think what's, I, yeah. what's the difference, sorry, between a a spear gun and and what you were talking about? Yeah, so a spear gun is like one barb, right? And it, it's like a like a metal a metal barb that just goes through the fish. And what happens is like when you bring when you bring the fish outside of the water. The fish is, uh, you know, it's dangling on the barb, and then if you if you tilt it this way, it could slide on the barb and get your get your hand. And that's that's how it's gotten a couple people, um, my friend included, and you know, a wave, a wave. He was holding it, a wave, a wave hit the boat, and it, the barb went up, and it just slid and 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 punctured his hand. And then we just had to like just book it, book it back. Yeah, man. That's and great. so, so the, and the other thing is a pole spear, <clears throat> which is, uh, which is hands handheld and it's hand operated. Um, uh, and it's like a slingshot basically with a, with a spear. And at the end of it, the fish just gets stuck on the, on three prongs. So it has nowhere to move basically. So it's a little bit safer to, sort of to like handle. a fork, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. I, I blame, I blame the game of death movie with Bruce Lee. You remember that movie? Uh, I saw it. Like, or I yeah. don't know if I saw the whole thing, but so I've seen clips of it. Yeah, that, that the lionfish was there. I think that's that, that gave it a lot of promotion. Okay. <laughs> um, what happens if you're if you're doing your Hemingway thing and you're yeah. by yourself and you're spearfishing and you get stung by one of these things? I mean, I mean, you know, uh, I have an E-perm on me, which is like a you know, a helicopter comes and just picks me up, and so oh. uh, it's an, it's called an E-perm. An EPIRB, is that like a button you put, like a Basically. SOS caller? Basically, it's, it's, it's a GPS operated, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but then, they, they, you know, then you have to leave your boat. So um, if specifically for lionfish, what you do is you get warm water and, and you put your hand in, in the warm water and that, that'll, that'll help with the, um, with, the, with the swelling, that'll help with the, um, because it will denaturalize, it's a protein-based poison, so it will denaturalize the, the poison, and it'll also help with the pain. And, you know, just suck it up. Don't be a bitch. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say, that's, part of, that's part, part of the whole um, thing about living out on your own. Like, there is no safety net. That's why you feel so alive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh man, this has been an awesome conversation. I would love to uh, love to continue it over a fine uh, fillet of fish on the back of the boat and, and some lobsters, hundred percent, and some Let's lobsters. Um, for those that are interested in getting some of the summaries so that they can find their unique passion and purpose, and then ultimately the lifestyle of their design, where can they go to learn more about your company? Yeah. So, so our our books on Amazon is called Executive Growth Summaries. And you can go to executivegrowthsummaries.com or, uh, or on Amazon, you can look them up. And right now, what we're doing is we have this new product that, so for, for executive growth summaries is for best-selling books that you want to read in about an hour. And specifically in self-development, um, you know, some memoirs and, and business. And now we're starting a new, um, a new product called executebooks.com. And that's for the professional, the entrepreneur, the executive that again, doesn't have the time to read the full book, but wants to implement book strategies directly into their business. So we not only provide the summary and we, we have these, these proprietary guides called AIM guides. It's an acronym, AIM, awareness, internalization, materialization. So you first become aware of the principles in the book. Then you internalize them. We have different 
exercises that makes you have a, a direct association with the concepts. So, you know, power journaling and different things. So you can really, really seep in the, um, the concepts and then materialization, which we provide a detailed, rich uh, operational plan on how to implement these, these principles directly to your business. Ah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's called executebooks.com. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, the, 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 the big thing that's, that's, that, that I'm really passionate about this um, product that we're launching is that we're providing also a community aspect. And, and I always think of how the business would help that 23-year-old me, you know, feeling lonely, feeling alone, feeling depressed in Wall Street. Um, and, and how can, you know, snap them out of it? Yeah. And having the community aspect not only ensures that, you know, once you finish and you read these guides, you know, that you actually execute on them, right? They hold each other accountable. In order to be part of the, of, the, of the membership, you not only have to pay, but you also have to have an accountability buddy. It's mandatory. You need to have an accountability buddy within the, within the community. So we make sure that you guys are holding each other accountable with the books or with your goals or with other things. Um, and and it, it really, it, you know, I wish there was something like that in the, in the past because um, not only would I have been getting the book lessons, but I, I wouldn't have felt so alone, man. You know, yeah. um, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. Like 60, I think it's like 60% of people um, uh, report that they, that they, that they feel um, anxiety and loneliness uh, uh, continu- continuously. And, and there's no reason for that. And especially in, in the corporate world, like now you have, you have, you have the money, you, you, you have, um, you have the money to, to, to do what you want. Maybe you don't have the time. Uh, there's these books that can teach you how to get all the things that you want. And there's also a community of like-minded people that are going to hold you accountable so you can get those things. Uh, so yeah, so it's, 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 it's like my, it's, it's like the, the passion project that, that just naturally grew out of the summaries. I love that, man. I love what you're doing. I love what you're up to. Uh, one of my greatest memories of last year was being with my kids down in, in Jupiter. We did the whole Disney thing, spent a ton of money doing all that and the nice yeah. hotels and this, that, or whatever. The best part of that whole trip, snorkeling with my kids Wow, for free, right? And it's like, that's, that's, what's, um, that's what's accessible for anybody is to find those things that, uh, that they just purely are passionate about that they, that they love. And Carlos's books is going to be a great way. I'm going to start adapting that as well. Cause um, time is limited and, and for somebody as thoughtful and, and as intelligent as you and your team are to be able to not only get the summaries, but also, I mean, this is turning into a little bit of a commercial. I'm getting nothing from this, by the way, but I'm just thinking out loud, like how cool is it to be able to get the summary and also actionable uh, principles and, and exercises to help, uh, implement those too. It's awesome. I love it. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, brother. Well, thank you for your time today, man. And, and, uh, we will chat soon and spearfish soon. hundred <laughs> percent, brother. All right. Peace.